0: Good morning. As Paul, um, we're following along with Paul as he writes to the Corinthians, and that he focuses on what's most important, and in light of what's most important, he calls attention to some things happening in their fellowship that. Uh, and he measures them along with the standard. And as we look at the standard, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And so when Paul talks about what it means for a Christian to put the ball through the hoop, what really counts, it's when faith expresses itself in serving others in love. Serving one another in love, this is ultimately what's most important when it's based in faith. The problem in Corinth is that the goal has gone from service to serve us, especially when we think of Memorial Day, where individuals have paid the ultimate price to serve their country. This makes sense then when we think of Paul addressing this group whose sense of orientation about what Christianity was about had moved from serving others to serving self, from service to serve us. Look what it says. I'll read, and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians fourteen, one through 25. Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing Then 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, pursue love that 's ultimately what he is interested in, because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Um, and the Corinthians are zealous to experience spiritual gifts, again, not because it serves others, but because it pleases them. Not service, but serve us. And in this context, when Paul talks about spiritual gifts, it applies to communication gifts. Those spiritual gifts that are associated with teaching or proclamation. And he has two particular gifts in mind that he contrasts with one another. Tongues and prophecy. To prophesy means to proclaim a divine revelation. Or more simply, prophesy is to speak on behalf of God. It doesn't necessarily involve the future, or or it might. What in general it is, is speaking on behalf of God to individuals. That's what prophecy means in the context. And to speak in a tongue, here, is a private prayer language used in communion with God. And Paul's point is that tongues is vertical communication, and he appraises it as such. And prophecy is horizontal communication, where somebody speaks on a horizontal plane on behalf of God. Uh, Paul writes, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Tongues, according to Paul, and again, he's going to say, I'm glad I do this more than anyone, is a holy soliloquy. It's a holy soliloquy, something that others do not comprehend. It's intelligible, only if it's interpreted into an intelligible language. It's different, it seems, from the tongues experienced at Pentecost. And if you remember what happens, Peter was speaking and everyone heard what he was saying in their own language. So he's speaking one language. Parthians hear it in their language. Greeks in theirs. This, what Paul speaks of, it's different from what occurred on the day of Pentecost, it seems. Uh, God provided a form of tongues as a gift, as a prayer language at this stage of salvation history. Um, Perhaps it allowed Jewish Christians to deal with the negative consequences of being called out to channel grace to Gentiles. Again, that put them in a place where they were not really accepted by Gentiles and not really accepted by Jews because they were Christians and they were really accepted by Gentiles because they were Jews. They were third culture people that that stood right in the middle. And perhaps as an accommodation, we don't know, to what they were experiencing. Tongues gave them the sense of being included with God in the context of being excluded by almost everyone on a horizontal frame. We don't know. What perhaps occurred in an increasingly Gentile context where the church was founded by Jews who were channeled to give grace to Gentiles. And the church began as a Jewish institution and its Jewish constituency increasingly dropped and the Gentile context increasingly was raised, and so um, it seems that um, their experience of tongues within the church, if you spoke in tongues, you had the sense that you had graduated to the ranks of the really spiritual. That seems to be the sense uh, there were two versions of tongues and they exist to this day. I'll call one ordinary and one ornery. Ordinary tongues and ornery tongues. Ordinary tongues is one that some Christians receive the gift. I know individuals who use the prayer language of speaking in tongues, but they will be clear to say, but not everybody is called to or should practice it. That's Ordinary, the ornery ones, that's, or, ordinary is okay. Ornery isn't. It's the one who says, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. It's not true. It's, that's being a little bit ornery. And again, uh, it was interesting at the University of Iowa, when I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, I was like a missionary to the college campus. That's what I did when I graduated from school. Um, somebody insured me, I remember meeting him, really good guy. I'd been talking to this guy, and and he told me, you know what, Mike, you know, you have a heart for God. I said, thanks. Uh, it's nice to hear. And he said, I think God's going to give you the gift of tongues. And he said, because God gives it to those who have a heart for him. I said, okay, that's, that's a decent deal. And if that's something he would give me, bring it on. I'll, I'll take it. Anything that could cause, a fostering of communication? And he said, let me put my hands on you and, and give you this gift. And I said, you know what? No. If God's going to give me the gift, I think he can give it to me. And so I'm not going to allow that, but I will if he will give me this. I'd like him to do so. And he never did. And that's okay. Some of you here, have practice, do still practice a prayer language, a private prayer language. And, and um, yeah, and it uh, never happened to me um, in this context. At any rate, praying in tongues made the practitioner feel more spiritual. But in the context of a church meeting, that's when they were doing it. Um, it didn't directly benefit others in sharp contrast to tongues, Prophecy benefits others. It communicates to others in intelligible language. This from up front and what happens at Sunday. This is prophecy. It's to speak before, for God in front of people. Um, it builds up the community through exhortation and consolation and challenge and comfort. Um, it convicts unbelievers who might say, I didn't know that. I didn't know that God was like that, or believers. And so because it's something that we can understand. And so the Spirit communicates with us. In understandable ways, he does things that are understandable. So what I would say then, if you're in a place where you're seeking to understand and you're listening or you're reading or you're listening to a tape or you're listening to music, engaging truth with your mind, trying to understand it, asking questions, making room for it in your mind, is how the Spirit's influence is conveyed. It's it's not something, it might perhaps a level at a subconscious level, but that's not primarily it. It's something that engages the mind. This is why Paul prefers prophecy over tongues, because prophecy benefits people. It's something the Spirit can use to create a sense of awareness. And um, Paul goes on in verse 5, To say, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. And he goes on, as we've read, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. If you don't get my meaning, if you don't understand what I'm saying, the Spirit can't take that understanding and create awareness. There's no, there's nothing happens spiritually. God communicates and changes the way we think about Him. And when we remain in His Word, asking questions, making room, that's how we're changed. Um... If even lifeless instruments, Paul writes, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anybody know what is played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? He talks about interpreting. To interpret means to put into articulate, intelligible speech what is unintelligible. So, in other words, when interpretation is added to tongues, it becomes prophecy. You can understand it. It makes sense. Um, Those who are speaking in tongues probably imagined themselves as glowing. Again, they're doing it in these church meetings, and they're not big meetings. So you're not just going to kind of blend in with the woodwork. We're sitting in a living room, maybe an atrium. There's not a bunch of people. And And so what ends up happening, there's the sense that, I bet others are looking at me and and saying, wow, (laughs) holy smokes, I'd like to be like that guy. uh, they probably relish basking in the, in admiration of others, and so they're there, and, and so somebody who's not doing it, the one who is speaking in tongues, imagines others saying, wow, hey, could you let me do that? Teach me how to do that. I don't forget, I was in Oceans, when I graduated from school, I went to Stafford Crusade, and I was at a summer beach project, and um, I was there for the summer, uh, helping students talk to other people about Christ, and I had a friend, Mark, who was a a real card. Anyways, he was working for this guy who was a builder, and he was a guy who spoke in tongues, and that was part of his thing, And, and he wasn't too ornery about it, a little bit ornery, but not too, and Mark and I would talk about, you know, it's okay, Mark, yadda, yadda. And anyways, so this guy gave Mark a tape, and in the tape, It was someone teaching people how to pray in tongues, speak in a tongue, and it was on a tape. And so Mark then, in the middle of the day, (laughs) goes to his bed. We lived in his room with two bunk beds, and he's on the top bunk bed, and he has this little cassette player, and he pushes play, and this guy talks about how to speak in tongues, and And so Mark's there listening, and he just, like me, he goes, God, I want to be close to you, and if this is part of it, give it to me. So anyways, he's listening to this tape, and Mark tells me about it at the end of the day, and we laughed about it. So he was saying, okay, now you're praying not with your mind, but with your spirit. You're praying not with your mind, but with your spirit. Not with the mind, but the spirit. Not with the mind, but the spirit. Not with the mind, but the spirit. Now, utter! And then in the tape, people are going, (laughs) and so Mark is on the top. The top blank, and then he says, "Wait a minute, this isn't you know and again it's it was funny at no, all we laughed about that um, but the the sense is that everyone is going to want, and and he wait a minute wait a minute, um praying in tongues during worship sounded again, this is public, this isn't private they're just and they imagine in their own ears it sounded like they were making heavenly sounds. Uh, Paul puts the performance in a completely different light. How many of you have had children who learned to play an instrument? In the beginning, it's not really heavenly sounds, is it? You know, bop bop, ah, bop bop, and and so the one they might feel like they 're you, know, you know but then if you 're listening it's not, it's, it 's not it doesn 't sound like that at all. Um, he compares sounds tongues to indistinct sounds made on flutes or harps or bugles and by novices it 's not really pleasing unless you 're some extra terrestrial creature. If you're not, it sounds like squeaks and squawks. Uh, That's what Paul says. The same is true of tongues. The one who uses it, there is a sense, and even real, can be, I would imagine, that's what Paul indicates, of connection. And the practice of this private connection in public would you would assume that others would feel about the proclamation like you do. And Paul says, no, it's like somebody tuning up an instrument, and it doesn't sound all that hot. That's Paul's point. He says, so with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language... I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Um, the different speakers speaking different languages only baffle each other. They become barbarians. Barbarians is a, is a word that comes from the way something sounded. And if you were a Greek and somebody was speaking a foreign language, to your Ear, it sounded bar 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 bar. That's the way it sounded. So why did they call they call them a barbarian? Because that's the way it sounds, just a bunch of bar 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 bar. And uh, so Paul he says, persons speaking different languages cannot communicate with each other. If you've lived in a foreign country, lived in China for a couple years, it's really a strange experience. You know, you find yourself communicating in sign language. Oh, well, you know, in doing stuff like that, it's, it's odd when you can't understand somebody's language. You know, when you start to learn, it's interesting, and some of us are not as quick at learning language. I worked hard at language, but in Chinese, the the, you have to have, and this puts me at a distinct disadvantage, you have to have really good hearing. Okay, now, here we are. I can't hear anything. And so so you have to hear, there's a difference between, and my high frequency hearing, if you look at one of those things, low frequency is okay, high frequency goes what? And so they're making these little, and you have to know the difference between them. In fact, in Chinese, I told you this before, there's, you have to listen very carefully. S One means four, and the other means death. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and if you're not given, it sounds exactly alike. So anyway, Gavin did much better with languages than I did. He had a better ear. And, and, but the experience, if you've been in a foreign land, you really do long to hear somebody speaking in your own language. It's, you really feel like an outsider, don't you? Strange if everybody speaks in a different tongue, and that's what Paul is indicating. That's what people feel like. If you're speaking in this language and they don't understand it, they don't feel like they want to be a part of it. They feel like they're outside of it, and that's Paul's point. Um, Paul's Critique of Tongues implies that it does more than simply create frustration. It erects barriers of alienation. The sick feeling that one doesn't belong. There are a lot of feelings that are very difficult to feel. One of the worst feelings when you think of it is the sense you're excluded. The sense you're excluded. Think about it. The sense of being disconnected. Of not being connected is a very difficult feeling. And, and that's what Paul says is, is happening. Paul's fear is, if persons chattering in tongues without interpretation dominate the worship, the church will become a babble ground of competing gibberish. He, Paul, he writes, again, he's not condemning, prohibiting tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind. In order to instruct others, than 10,000 words in a tongue. He goes on, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders unbelievers, enter, will they not say you are out of your minds? Um, Paul's point is taking, he wants to take tongues from a serve us context and put it where it belongs. In a service context. He points out how it appears to other. If outies walk in to a place and innies are talking in a prayer language, uh, the outies will not be impressed. What Paul says, they will rather think these Christians are stark raving mad, a little bit like, like Mark felt on the top bunk of this bed. Um, when, it, when it describes stark raving mad, it talks about a word that often is, is connected to um, wild, raving speech. And the Greeks understood this. When they went to the temple of Aphrodite or Zeus or Apollo, oftentimes there was someone whose, whose job was to communicate with the gods. And here's what would happen. If you would go into one of these temples, you would talk to some priests who were the ones speaking in intelligible languages, and you tell them why it is you come to the temple. I've come to the temple because my family is experiencing this, and I want to get a message from or to Diana. So what would happen then? You'd tell it to these people, and they would pass this on to this person, sometimes a woman, who was a person who communicated with, and she went into ecstasis, an out-of-body experience where she would speak in different languages and do different things and, you know, I'm not going to try. Anyways, because I wasn't there. Um, So she would do this thing, and then what would happen is then these individuals that you talk to, they would explain what, what, what just happened? Um, so the Greeks, they understood this, and this looked a lot like that, a lot like what happened in pagan temples, the same type of inarticulate sounds, and they said it seems like it's a crazy person. That's, that's the sense. Um, so... And Paul's point is that their sense will be not that they'll want to join it, but they'll basically say, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, let's move on. Um, The citation from Isaiah makes clear that tongues are not a saving sign, but a sign of retribution. They do not stimulate belief, but instead seal unbelief. I found something interesting, and it's in light of what, The prophecy Isaiah is indicating, it's a a very pertinent point it seems. When God speaks intelligibly, it is to reveal. When God speaks intelligibly, it is to reveal. God is by nature purposefully self-revealing and articulate. God does not hide. When God speaks unintelligibly, it is not to reveal, it is to judge. Interesting, interesting. When God speaks unintelligibly, it is to judge, because if you're in that place where God is speaking, and you don't understand it, how will you feel? A person on the outside disconnected, not included, excluded. That's what judgment is. To judge means to separate the innies from the outies. And what Paul says, that's what people are going to feel. And we don't want them to feel that because our goal is to serve others in love, not to serve us at their expense. Um, Paul says, if you fall prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And falling on his face, he will worship God. And it's clear that God is really among you. Paul says the Christian prophecy causes unbelievers to experience a sense that they're in God's presence. Um, it exposes people to divine presence so that they confess, I ought not to think and live as I think and live. And again, the context for this conviction is not a carefully staged worship service as in our day. It's a living room where people are gathered around they're sharing, this is what happened to me. They have different words. It's more small group than it is a worship service experience. And in the intimacy of that living room or atrium, what that individual experiences, again, not in a stage service. Mm-hmm. We're in a different age, different time. But the sense of conviction that God is really in this place is an intimate place. where people speak from their heart. They're talking about their experiences. They talk about God, I think, gave me this sense, and this is what happened. And they are talking with one another. That's, that's the sense. Um, he says, brothers, don't be children in your understanding. What separates the children from adults in this instance is how much they cling to tongues, and how much they're willing to set it aside for the purpose of serving others in love. Children are appropriately narcissistic, are they not? It's their job. The job of a kid is to be narcissistic and only think of themselves. Over the years, the child learns that relationships are good and learns... To think about others. I know if you think about your own children's development, family development, you've seen it. To be a child is to be stuck in me. To grow up is to develop a capacity to think about others. The same thing Paul states within Christianity. A Christianity that is oriented around just as long as it makes me feel good. There's a place for that at the beginning. But... (coughs) As we understand him more, we understand the value of serving others in love. What ends up happening, the sense of self-orientation as we grow, shifts and becomes an other orientation, slowly. As we listen and think and let his word remain and ask questions, And listen to people and talk to people slowly, gradually. The spirit does not change by lightning bolts from above. Real change happens over time. Our brain does not change quickly. As these kind of thoughts are replaced by these kind of thoughts, gradually we change. Why do I tell you this? Because growth is a process. Sometimes we fall for get spiritual quick remedies. Do this thing, do this thing, talk in this way, and you will be catapulted into spirituality. My sense is no one is catapulted into a spirituality that serves others. This doesn't happen. Um, I love the uh I've I've I recited this before. It was uh, by Bill Shoemaker, who was one of the spiritual influences of the movement that has become Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is a really good poem. He talks about, I stand by the door. And it, it seems to get at the thinking of adults. Is what it says. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside. And they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men, with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, but yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter die for want of that which is within their grasp and they live on the other side of it. Live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find Him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in, go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast, roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements, of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms. And know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes venture in a little farther, but my place seems closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. There is another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid, lest God and the zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great. And asks all of us, and these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia. Want to get out? Let me out, they cry. And the people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody must be by the door to tell them how much they are spoiled for the old life. They've seen too much. One taste of God and nothing but God will do anymore. Someone must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in, to tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in do not see how near these are to leaving, preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door and would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go away in. But I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As it is, as for me, I shall take my old accustomed place. Near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So, I stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand by the door. Dear Father, I just want to say thank you this morning, um, this Memorial Day and weekend. Um <clears throat> Help us to be mindful of the people at the door we all were once though that person. Um, help us to understand what's greater and help us to appreciate um the difference um, Help us to be able to understand how much you love us and help us to serve one another in love these things we pray in Jesus name, Amen.